As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com got there? Oh, oh there's a, my nicotine replacement therapy. Well done, yeah. I bet you were never a smoker. I'm, I'm so annoying, aren't I? <laughs> well, that's not true. I did smoke, but I was never a smoker. Can that be, the, can that be true? Yes, yeah. Uh, annoying, I just don't have that addictive thing apart from exercise. Well, okay, yeah. okay, okay, okay. <laughs> well... I'm going to challenge you on that, okay, Louise. You can challenge me on that. Yes. It's not about I, cigarettes. Yes, not just not about, but I think there is a little bit of a. Really? I need to keep going back to it going on. <laughs> Do you think? It does make me feel good. Yeah, no, that's very good. Uh, yeah, the the smoking thing, uh, it's it's much discussed, and uh, yeah. I'm now I'm really properly trying to uh, wean myself off uh, of those as well. Of those, but Are that's you? that is a twenty year huh? addiction. What, to the Nicorettes? To the Nicorettes, yeah. Is it? Yep. Yep. Well, it's better for you, though, isn't it? Loads better. But n- nobody knows because, you know, th- I started using them, as did lots of other people, when almost when they first came on the market. Yeah. So nobody knows really what... You won't be... It, you won't be doing yourself any huge damage no. by still being on them, but it can't be great 20 years down the line. It's also really expensive. Right. Anyway, um, here we are. Here we are. So thank you very much indeed to everybody who emailed in about our Daisy Goodwin interview yesterday. Yeah. Uh, dear Jane and Fee and the wonderful Louise, this one comes from Jennifer. Yes, of course no woman should have to put up with having their breasts or thighs or anywhere else fondled by someone's unwelcome hands. But I couldn't help thinking of the humiliated wife in this story. Daisy Goodwin might be able to take it, but what about the sisterhood? The poor wife with a career and a marriage and possibly children, not mentioned, now has to watch her life unravel and she's not even mentioned. Uh, So, Jennifer, I really take your point about that. um, And we are referring to Daniel Korski, but... Uh, actually, his family was mentioned in an interview that our colleague Kate McCann did for Talk TV, where she asked him a very direct question, actually, um, about his commitment to his marriage. And he talked about the strength of his family in that. But I think you're really, really right, Jennifer, to point out the other people who are always affected when stories like this are published. But I suppose what Daisy Goodwin is trying to do is just make her story available so she kind of takes the sisterhood with her and helps fewer Mm. women in the future have to be a wounded wife. Yeah, and I actually often think about what Jennifer says because I think when you're at the centre of a news story, it's one thing you being at the centre, but it's not just your wife, is it? It's your, I don't know, it might be your teenage children or whatever. And it does, these things have an impact 
on lots of different people in lots of different ways. Mm. Um, but yeah, what Daisy's done is, is, I think the whole point or one of the points that she's made to us is that if you say something about someone who has grabbed your breast or whatever it is, and I have done this in the past and I have actually confronted someone and reported them um, in a work environment, what struck me was as soon as I said this had happened and they said, who was it? Was it that person over there? You know, I was not alone in that. And I think sometimes it helps to put up your hand so that a case can be made, for example. Um, so it's so it's important what Daisy's done. Mm. Can I ask what happened in that case with you? Yeah, so in that case, um, he was very heavily reprimanded for what had happened. Um, and it was not somebody, it was just a one-off event, actually, that I was at. He was very heavily reprimanded. I don't know what happened career-wise because it's not an industry that I'm involved with. Um, and he wrote me in a very apologetic letter. So, you know, that's closure for me. But what I think about it is that I felt in a position where I was able to do that and to stand up and say something. And there may be other women who that person, and clearly there were other women because they were like, oh, it's him, obviously a serial offender. Um, that for other women who couldn't, that's why I did it. Because I wasn't, you know, I just, you know, it happened to me and, you know, in some ways sort of no big deal, but I just did it for other people who might not be able to say something in that sort of position. Yeah. Which Does that make the, sense? It makes complete sense, yeah. And I think, um, you know, it's a huge motivation for Daisy Goodwin talking about yeah. it now. It's exactly, it's exactly what she's trying to do. Um, but I agree with you, Jennifer. I think, you know, the bigger picture about all of the other people who are dragged into this, uh, you know, we should always be a bit thoughtful mindful of that about them uh, whilst n not allowing that thoughtfulness uh, to stop us from telling the stories too uh, this one from victoria who says just wanted to say thank you to daisy goodwin for speaking up and doing her part to make my daughter's future a safer place uh, and this one which comes from karen and it's about karen so karen yesterday was one of our listeners who emailed the program uh, to say that she really didn't agree with what daisy goodwin was doing at all or what she was saying and that she was taking down a man's career and that there was a presumption of her innocence actually in the whole thing that Karen didn't like at all and this Karen, keep up everybody, I know it's a lot of Karens, uh, is 65 years old and she says I heard your interview with Daisy, I was cheering her on shouting at my radio um, I am totally on Daisy's side and how dare those pompous self-righteous men think they can have whatever they want uh, they all need outing, can't believe the other women who defend that behaviour I so, think this is going to continue, isn't it? I think it is. Um, can we also pick up on something that we needed to get to the bottom of? And yes. we have done this week. And this is for an Australian woman, Australian women. And I think other people listening to this podcast waiting with cross legs to the answers about whether or not cranberries and pumpkin seeds helped with incontinence. And we got a physiotherapist on to Times Radio who talked us through the fact, because I sometimes think with those things, oh, really? that how would that be making a difference to incontinence? But actually, there is science, isn't there? And I took some notes. Shall I get, I'm not the physiotherapist, but shall I say what I can remember or would you like to? No, you can. Okay, so what I remember was she told us that the cranberries help because it binds with bacteria in our urinary tract, so that can help. And the pumpkin seeds help because they bind with testosterone, also in our urinary tract so that may help particularly with men because we also talked about you know it's not just a female problem this is also a male problem so that may help as well but on the answer of how many cranberries and how many pumpkin seeds she couldn't be clear no and also she did make the point that both of those things are sold as extracts 
lots now. Yes. So it's very difficult to work out what quantities you, you should be taking. But she basically said, you can't overdo it, really. Mm-hmm. They're natural products. So uh, by all means, try them out and just see what works for you. Yeah. So I'd start off at, you know, a small handful. Let us know whether that works. Uh, I wouldn't go beyond... What do you reckon? <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't go beyond a kilogram. A kilogram? <laughs> no, nobody ever would. <laughs> nobody ever would. Uh, but we'd be really interested uh, in your anecdotal evidence about it. She did basically say the main issue was that you need to do your pelvic floor exercises. Yeah, but, I wasn't yeah. listening to that bit. I'm just going to go pumpkin seeds and okay, cranberries. go easy. But I did like the fact, actually, that she was very sympathetic towards everybody's attitude about pelvic floor mm-hmm. exercises which is kind of oh god do I have to and then you do 10 don't you on a Monday and you know by Tuesday you think oh I'll do some on Wednesday and by Thursday you can't be bothered and I know that we should all be doing I know that we should all be doing that but I've yet to meet a woman who has consistently done her pelvic floor and, exercises and you, I mean you might look years. at me as a woman who loves exercise but pelvic floor exercises yeah yeah so if, if even <laughs> even, if even I... the minch can't do them <laughs> then we can forgive ourselves for doing them. Actually, we did a very funny interview with uh, Sarah Jarvis, you know, the fantastic uh, doctor. Oh, yes, I do, yes. And she said that, uh, I think think either Jane or I said that we only ever did our pelvic floor exercises when we heard her on the radio talking about it. And she said that she only did her pelvic floor exercises when she was on the radio talking about it. So she's like, okay. Oh, should we get to the guest? Oh, God, yes, because this is a close personal friend of yours, Rob yes. Rinder. There was a lot of love in the studio. But what an interesting man. Yeah. I mean, really properly, properly brain-zooming, isn't he? He's a, he is a fierce intellectual, um, former barrister, and also Judge Rinder. I um, don't know how many of you watched Judge Rinder, but absolutely brilliant stalwart of daytime TV and also hilarious. We never got to talk to him about the actual show because he's got lots of stories about that. Yeah, but I mean, he he can talk forever about everything, can't yeah. he? Yeah, uh, he's also done Strictly and what, what gave me more pleasure than anything was seeing his, his, his sort of toes curl as I read out this lovely intro to him describing him as ferociously intelligent funny people <laughs> and he was so uncomfortable with it and I knew he would be so that's why I did it and here's his reaction it's lovely you got to the end of that it's like when someone stops playing the bagpipes I knew I knew you oh, would not gosh. like to sit there and listen to me saying I that. want to know who your listeners are and the fact that you read them out you know oh I think it's always <laughs> best to I think you have to lance those boils actually oh, that's yeah, what you that's need right. to do that's one way of doing it I used to correct the spelling of my old clients who were angry and yeah. just send them back and also because I think there's something quite powerful about hearing what you sent into a radio back to yourself read out on the radio and if that's someone's opinion then that's fine yeah, let's that's not be shy of it I've got that. so much to talk to you about um, mm-hmm. and what and there's so many things I love about you. I love that you do really serious things and then you do Strictly. Um, and let's go with... That's a se- serious. You've seen my cha-cha. Yeah. <laughs> I have. <laughs> uh, let's go with the serious first yes. because Rwanda's making the headlines today. Yeah. Uh, you have worked actually directly, mm. I think, um, around that subject, haven't mm. you? Uh, yes. So tell me... What's going on and what does it mean? Well, I just arrived and saw uh, the judgment. I've only just seen it from uh, a couple of websites. So I must emphasize, I've never not read the court judgment. I always say to people before you come to any view, do the work of um, reading, it's not that many pages, whatever the court has said. But as I understand it, the uh, Court of Appeal have ruled um, that uh, Rwanda haven't given sufficient guarantees to safeguard 
um, the rights of um, anybody that we would seek to send there, asylum seekers. Now, what does that mean in legal terms? It means that each and every one of us, you, me, and anybody being deported, has a right to provision against cruel and unusual uh, treatment, which is Article 3 of the Human Rights Act. Um, not to mention um, a, a number of other provisions which on the face of the judgment look like they also can't be safeguarded, which means that um, in effect the government of Rwanda could not give a court sufficient assurance, that's all of us, that anybody being sent there uh, would be safe. And just to be clear about that, um, that hurdle of safe is a pretty high hurdle to jump. Give you an example of it. Years ago, I dealt with a case called Ex Party Mares. I was counsel in that case where there was an application to um, send somebody back to South Africa. And I ran an argument saying that um, he should not be sent back to South Africa because at that point, the prison system was such that um, he was likely to confront deeply, as if they're as unserious, but um, he was going to be the subject of targeted violence and that the prison system and consequently their um, interior ministry couldn't give us guarantee to safeguard his safety. I lost that case and he was deported. Right. That's one example of it. So people know very little about Rwanda. Um, you know, the fact of the matter is, um, whilst it is miraculous in its recovery in many respects from a genocide that people know too little about, Paul Gigami has been in power there for a very long, long period of time, to say the very least. Um, it doesn't have um, sufficient separation between the uh, judiciary and the legislative branches. It doesn't have uh, safeguards that protect the safety and rights of individuals. And unless a country can give those guarantees, none of us are safe. And it's not just about those who are going to be deported there. These rights, as we call them, they are rights, um, are there to protect you and me and all of our listeners. Because it may be asylum seekers who you don't know, whose faces you can't see, whose names you won't hear, whose lives you know nothing about. But tomorrow, um, it could be one of your relatives. It's extremely important to understand. Um, this court, the Court of Appeal, does not come to this decision, a breach of Article 3 or a lack of assurance on Article 3 of the Human Rights Act. We didn't leave it because we left the European Union. Um, unless it is deeply concerned about the state of the judicial system, the various safeguards that are in place to ensure that when you're sent back there, you're going to be safe. We couldn't have had a better guest today. Mm. Well, I only just read... I, know, I must emphasise I haven't here. read the judgment in yeah. full. And I know that um, the Home Office is going to appeal it. Yeah, and that was going to be my next question. So mm. what... Supreme Court yeah. is, is the next stop. Um, and we don't know... What is good, though? And this is a bit of a segue, and I've been talking a lot about this recently to students, is that um, yeah, it's a fascinating thing and worth reflecting on. You know, if this were to be in, if this were in America, we would have uh, an instinctive se sense of where the Supreme Court would land on this. It would be highly politicised, because we would know the names of our Supreme Court justices mm -hmm. if we were in America. Now, I look to you, and I'm not. This is not a trick question because I speak to, in order to come, serious practitioners often. How many of our Supreme Court do you? Members, do you know? Wouldn't be able to name them at all. One, no. two, none, no. two. Do no. you know anything about their politics? No, no. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. yeah. That's essential. And so um, uh, we don't know how that they will rule. It, my instinct is, if I could predict, um, that given the, well, who was on the uh, uh, panel of the Court of Appeal, very high-level Court of Appeal, that uh, I suspect this will be upheld and the government will not be successful. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Mm. Um, should we change subject? Yeah. Um, but I'm, <laughs> the reason I wanted to, I mean, you know, you're a barrister and mm. your new book, The Trial, is a really 
brilliant insight Mm. into what goes on in our justice system. You're so lovely. I mean, because what you really want to do is a kind of breakfast gorgeous segue here. You know, <laughs> We've just gone from breaches no, of I... Article 3, the prohibition against torture, against my novel, which is fun, but, you know, the murder but, weapon but... is Botox. So but, yes, I will... <laughs> the murder weapon is Botox. As Fee sips a drink. Going... Mm. Yeah. Going, but what, what I love... What's happening? Apart from, I mean, that, uh, the murder <laughs> weapon is brilliant and clever, but it does... Yeah. What I like about the book <laughs> is that it does... Get... I'm trying to... I try, you know, Adam in your book is very like yeah. you. He's super he intelligent. Mm, and it's that. a brilliant insight into how our justice system works and perhaps maybe doesn't work. Yeah, he's more of a fish out of water. And uh, certainly it touches upon some of the, um, the flaws, to say the very least, in our justice system. Now, at the heart of it, it's, um, it's a whodunit. And, you know, in the vein of my, the, the books that I read for delightful escapism, the stuff that really just completely can take you away and uh, take you away in the places where you want to be taken away when you're on holiday etc or those moments where you know, tv and radio just won't do it for you so agatha christie etc obviously you know i'm reaching beyond my fingertips there but that's what i wanted to write about um the initial germ of the idea i have to say i wanted to write a non-fiction book mm -hmm. about three uh, cases i did uh, which ended in acquittals with three um defendants whom i'm certain were guilty and the different ways in which they were treated by the justice system. And to ask the question, I suppose, at the end of it, what do you think, given their acquittals? And so this book has at its core, exactly as you say, Adam Green, who's a pupil barrister, out of, uh, feels out of place, you know, he's a working class lad, although I sound like I've a little bit been mugged by Mitford, let's say. I mean, you know, this is my own special creation. I started speaking like this at four and couldn't change it. <laughs> Being gay, I wanted to be sort of oppositional. So this is what I did. It was my form of protest. So I wouldn't be taken to Tottenham Hotspur Football Club. This wouldn't let me in, you see. Um, but it's not real. And, um, and so constantly sort of constructed this false reality. Arrive at university, really get involved and very interested in academic things and become a barrister. But never really sort of feel like I'm, I'm meant to be there. And that's, if you like, that's the, very much the journey Adam. of Adam, yeah. Yeah. Um, you mentioned there um, about what it's like. Well, you mentioned a little bit about defending somebody who you might think mm. is guilty. Tell me about the sort of conflict that that must bring. Well, you say it must bring that. It, it doesn't really. I mean, you know, nobody ever asks you when you're sitting here in an interview like this. And it just occurred to me, really, I mean, what does it feel like when you're asked to defend somebody who you suspect might be innocent? I mean, that's yes. absolutely terrifying, mm -hmm. however rarely it might happen. And don't forget, you're not the person that makes a decision. You don't walk in you're to a client it, when the evidence is overwhelming and say, no, listen here, this is what we're going to say. And I know no barrister of any seriousness or reputation, which is everything, even now in this field of, of mine, which I still call mine, my colleagues, who, who, who would go and do that. Your job is to say, look, the evidence is overwhelming. Yeah. You should plead guilty. And if they tell you they're guilty, you can't carry on unless they continue to, kill, uh, to plead guilty. But, you know, the reality is, I mean... We've all been accused of something which we may not have, been, have done or some aspect of some, I don't know, a, a social accusation, let's say, in our, in our lives where we're slightly guilty of it, but whatever narrative somebody else has claimed is not wholly true. And that's often the case in, in all sorts of situations. You know? VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books. Contacts. Calendar. Double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. 
and get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Rob Rinders here with us. It's lovely. So you can pack in to just a 30-second, let's have a quick chat during the wonderful creative commercial ad break. You can pack in a kind of encyclopedic tour He's... around modern American <laughs> no, no, legal system. This is not true. No, it's wonderful. No, but for you, this is the thing. I don't think... <laughs> What is, I've got a really narrow interest in certain things, like a real curatorial interest. And I think, I was just thinking on the way here to the late, great Sister Wendy, her um, Desert Island Discs, and Kirsty Youngbless, I said, oh, you know, you're so clever. She said, I don't think I'm very clever. I'm just good at put. as she said, I'm just good at putting my goods in the shop window. And that's how I feel. Okay. That's a different well, thing. Well, yes, I mean, I would say that both of you... Uh, were being in Sister Wendy's case and you are being self-deprecating. Can I ask you a big mm, question? Yeah. Because we were talking very briefly uh, about the influence of social media, mm. uh, a conversation that the listeners weren't party to, but I'd like to ask you something bigger, actually, mm. about what you think this extraordinary power of the individual voice now mm. will end up doing to really, really serious court cases because we have already started to see people who do not want to play by the rules of innocent until found guilty and you can post all kinds of stuff out there mm -hmm. now it will be seen do you think we can carry on saying that juries will be able to retain the same kind of sanctity that they might have had 40 years ago? i mean the quick answer to that is i trust juries and um i but think do you yes um, by and large, in every case I did, and I did a number of murder trials, other than in perhaps one case, they got it right. And uh, it's a curious thing, you know, that you were asking me earlier, Louise, what's it like to defend someone when you, in inverted commas, know mm -hmm. they're guilty, you don't know. You know so I don't make that determination, the jury does based on evidence. And I'm not sure if either of you have ever served on a jury. No, but you may I... leave a court dissatisfied, but generally speaking, you walk away thinking, given the test, I feel like we got it right. Now, juries are warned against doing their own research. And I think, um, again, I can speak, uh, you know, from some experience, but now a number of my friends sit in the high court or sit certainly as senior criminal judges. And they do warn a jury not to do their own research. And I kind of believe that they, they do that. And even if they don't, bear in mind, there's a special um, 
there's a different complexion to your um, relationship to a case, which is a long-winded way of saying it feels different and is different when you're sitting in court and you're listening to the evidence as opposed to listening to however many words are allowed nowadays on Twitter. I'm much more... So I don't know how it's going to end up there. I'm much more concerned about something else about social media, sort of two elements of it. The first one is that it has this... Um, disproportionate power to um, influence, shape and curate the political and cultural narrative. So how about the one percenter on Twitter, let's say? You know, I've had experiences, you know, mm-hmm. on telly or whatever it is, and you say something good, all of a sudden, somebody who's been up all night chain-smoking parliaments and wearing a muumuu, other brands are available, don't smoke, it's bad for you, um, will say, oh, isn't Rob Brinder so marvellous? And the next thing... Um, it's the headline on um, you know, some newspaper, there's no journalist, and then that's been retweeted, that becomes the news. Um, and the real danger of it is that SPAN, so the people who are advising politicians and people who are curating and editing those programmes, are addicted to this thing and they get a little dopamine hit every time their show is mentioned, good or bad. And so consequently, this starts informing, shaping, as I say, curating what the news becomes and what culture becomes and also we make assumptions about it. I was covering the news for Channel 4, uh, excuse me, the election for Channel 4. If you'd followed that last election, you'd assume it was going to be, or one before that actually, you'd assume that, um, one before I must say, that that, um, Jeremy Corbyn was going to do very well, it's going to be a landslide. That was a moment of Twitter. That's how we'd observed what was happening. And of course it represents only a tiny minority of what's actually taking place. Yeah. And similarly, uh, mm. I think you can see into the future the power of the provocateur over the power of the journalist because an awful lot of news is just boring. The way you have to explain it and the way you have to balance it and what you have to bring to the party can seem very dull, but someone who simply I don't has know. massive opinion... I've got more faith in you. I think that um, that's true to a degree and it's true because you see it through the prism of Shouty on Twitter... But, you know, 90, however many percent of people are not uh, getting their news from there, are not acting in reaction way. They don't care about these so-called cultural wars. They're trying to deal day to day with um, the cost of living and trying to, you know, cope with all of the standard um, lived experience challenges of getting through the day. And I don't know, and you don't, and you don't really, anybody with surplus energy, um, let's say, to um, espouse hate on the internet. And what I do know... No, but I know people who are quite happy to just kind of like it and see it and let it feed into them without thinking... They like it. Is that actually desensitising? What do they like? Do they like hate? They might like a piece, like an op-ed, let's say, that's um, slightly more... has a strong opinion, a strong flavour towards somebody. But I can't imagine your friends or your friends with anybody who would like something which was just um, gratuitously cruel. And one of the things I'm always aware of, I used to represent people from various backgrounds and some, in some instances, because as a cab rank role, as a lawyer, as you know, you can't mm-hmm. make a determination of who you represent. It's just a rule. So, um, you know, some of them were members of the National Front, um, you know, being very proudly gay and certainly also proudly Jewish. Um, one of the things I used to see was this sort of abyss, this unhappiness. It was like a, a sort of sea of human debris. And I always imagine somebody at the other end of that tweet, the kind of detritus of their lives. And I wonder, hmm, what makes you 
Yeah, and I totally agree with that. I'm sorry, I that's why think, you read out, I suppose, yeah. come full circle, really. No, very much so, because you just wonder how Nick feels after sending that. You know, oh, I wonder if someone posts McCullough. something incredibly, and this is removed from, from, from Nick completely, yeah. if you post something incredibly sexist or rude uh, or homophobic or anti-Semitic, do you just press send and then think, oh, I'm a nice cup of tea now? You know, wonder whether that lovely Rob Rinder's on the box But yet. we have to get in the game, because I mean, one of the things I, I think that's sad is that you, that is, I think, your is the pervasive, slightly pessimistic, entirely pessimistic view. The problem is that then if you get out of if you get out of the job, who fills that vacuum in the middle? It's conspiracy theory. It's um, these absolute sort of cesspits of misinformation and disinformation. But what I do think, and this is exciting, is that people will listen to long-form podcasts. People will listen to this. People yes. will, uh, will actually go listen and... Listen to thoughts. Right, and they'll crave it. And you can sell out arenas of people trying to search for what we might loosely describe perhaps as meaning nowadays. Mm. They'll listen for hours. So, you know, I think it's an exciting time too and there's lots of reasons for optimism. Okay, in reasons for optimism, she says, <laughs> screeching handbrake turn. What are you up to at the moment? You've been doing all sorts uh, of fun things. Well, I'm right. I, I'm here to plug my book. Yeah, I can feel the, the weight of my... It's called The Trial. My, uh, uh, yeah. Is there going to be another one? Well, hopefully. Actually, you should know about this. So, um, <laughs> really? I, I'm going to announce it here. It's not about you, but... Oh, so, come on. Well, so this I'm is... very upset, by the way. Susanna Reid is into his book, not me. Yeah, Carry well, on. I wrote it when I was sitting next to her at uh, <laughs> GMB. It was after lockdown. Um, <laughs> um, so You're I both clear, pretty. Uh, that's true. <laughs> the world and brilliant. Um, although, I mean... Louise is way more You've badass. You've got 30 seconds. Oh, right. Um, uh, uh, <laughs> the trial is a bit like um, sort of Rumpole. You get to see the old Bailey. You get to see what the, the life of being in Chambers is. And you get a mystery where a lot of my friends who are very seasoned lawyers and high court judges haven't guessed. So I'm really oh, delighted about the next one. The murder is going to take place in daytime television. Is it? Yes. Live? Live. And, wow. Right. And, and it's a whodunit. But Fantastic. it starts very much, as you were talking about before, where we have a really confident sense the evidence is overwhelming. Yeah. But the person and may just not have done it. Oh, fantastic. And I'm delighted to announce, though you don't know, that I may or may not have entered you into the Marathon de Saab next year. <laughs> you do a bacano. Oh, bacano now, yes, sorry. Yes, bacano. <laughs> yes, you, you didn't say cute. Cue Louise. That was Rob Rinder, and his book is called The Trial. It's out now. Yes, it's out right now. Now, Louise Minchin, uh, we have had the pleasure of your company all week. I yes. promised people that we would work our way through our own running order, actually, and we've done pretty well, but... Luckily, there's still less things to talk about. Well, I think we might have saved the juiciest till last because uh, you have done I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. Mm. And most people that you hear talk about it, I mean, you are kept on quite a tight leash, actually, after something like that. <laughs> I have to remind myself, I have signed an NDA. And I did look at it the other day. But I can tell you some things. What do you want? I mean, like, there's lots of things I can't tell you, actually. Yeah. Which is kind of... Which is weird. Can you even tell me the things that you can't tell me about? I mean, can you tell me what the subjects are that you're not allowed to talk about? No. Oh, okay. Uh, am I allowed to... Uh, well, I'm just going to go random. I mean, if you can't answer, you can't answer. Uh, what do you actually do all day? Okay, so um, can I back up a bit? So yeah. one of the things, the reason I went on I'm a Celebrity is I love reality shows. I'm Because I love stories and I love uh, being observing people and all the rest of it. So that's why I kind of love them so much. And particularly I'm a Celebrity. Um, and I wanted to be inside the show. For me, that was super exciting. Until, of course, I mean, I work in television. For you. You'd think I'd work this out, wouldn't you? That. So the high, so the show is one hour, maybe maybe an hour and a half long, 
Um, but obviously there are 23 hours in the day. So what are you doing for the, uh, the rest of the 23 hours? Sorry, there are 24 hours in the day, clearly. The 23 hours of the day when you're not on the telly. And being, as you know, having sat next to me for a week or nearly a week, I am very active. I can't sit still, can I? Yeah. So it was very hard for me. So there is very little to do. And you're in a very confined space uh, with only a certain amount of people. And you can't talk to anybody else, even the production team. You can't talk to any of them. And there was that's, that for me was the hardest thing, the inability to, I could see, because it was in Wales, and I could see the mountains and I could see the sea and I just wanted to be in the sea or climbing up the mountains. But, but So it was like a physical, felt like a, you know, it felt very imprisoning actually. Mm. Are you at all aware of where the cameras are? Of course I am. Yeah. And I went out of my way to sort of sneakily find out where they are. And they are everywhere. So you'd go to bed at night and they'd stop at night because we wouldn't be moving. And then first thing in the morning, you'd roll around in bed and there was a camera right above you. And you could hear it go and focusing on you. And, you know, you walk up paths and you'd hear it go. So they are absolutely everywhere. And what does that do to your head? Uh, I think I, I think I'm probably quite annoying because I because I'm very I'm still aware you know I'm a you know like you I'm a broadcaster I have been forever in my career um, so I think I'm still the best real I don't think I'm the best reality TV uh, person because I'm still I think aware of where the cameras are and don't necessarily let everything go and the best ones are the ones who don't care mm. about that so yeah i think i'm kind of annoying because i'm like i know i know what you're trying to do here so <laughs> okay and and do some people actually reach the edge of their psychological limit i think um it's very interesting because it is you know and let's be really clear we're all paid to go on here it's a choice and there are you know you know that so so we've all made a choice but there are things which are really hard. So there's for me, it was about not being able to go and move around and do stuff like that. Um, also, the diet is actually really makes you, you know, when you so it is 700 calories a day and it is rice and beans and there's no there's no salt, there's no sugar, there's no pepper, there's no spices, there's no tea, there's no coffee. So your choice is rice, beans and water. And you can have that water hot or lukewarm. That's it. And actually, that is very hard. And when you, I've never, I think the thing I missed most was salt, mm. which I didn't, you know, and the, the thing that when I came out, my children would just laugh at me because they'd just give me any food. Like if you'd given me the ice cream we tried today, a tomato ketchup ice cream, I would go, oh my gosh, that's so delicious. The complete lack of taste yeah. was really hard and taste and then, stimulators yes you know, taste yeah. stimulators and then and then you know you're living off 700 calories a day and that makes you feel probably you know a little bit more irritable than you would otherwise so that's really hard for people um yeah i think you know so for some and then and then for me again the first five days the food was really difficult and also being completely removed from your family because your family are your downtime they're the people who can go oh my gosh you remember that person they said this they did that and that's all removed from you did you regret it? Not in any way. Okay. Do you know what? I, I, having said all of that... I do hope Louise's family are listening to this. <laughs> did I regret what? Being away from them? Yeah. 
I miss him so much. But no, no, I didn't no, I didn't read what I, I, yeah. the answer. I, the question I was answering was: I did I regret going on? I'm a celebrity. No, because I think in life uh, there are there are things you want to do in life, and sometimes you just ne- need to get on and do them. And I definitely wanted to do. I'm a celebrity. Um, I did. I, I learned a lot about myself in a good way, and I was just super delighted to be home. And when when they said to me I was out, I was just like. Oh, thank goodness I can go home, hug my family, see the dogs. And how many of the other contestants do you keep in touch with? Mm, That's a really leading question. (laughs) Yeah. About uh, probably five. That's not bad. Yeah. Yeah. All the girls, actually. Okay. So Kadina and Frankie and Snoochie. Yeah. Are you, as a woman, uh, allowed to have a period while you're on (gasps) a celebrity? I didn't. But you can, yeah, absolutely. And and are you kind of helped oh my with gosh, that? the 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 um the, the facilities are yeah. are as bad as they come across on the telly. They yeah. really are. Yeah. So that would be quite yeah, it's unpleasant. Hard. Yeah, it's quite. It, you know, you are absolutely thrust up into a very small space with people you don't know, and that can be very uncomfortable. Mm. Okay. How, have I made you want to go on? Yet? Oh gosh, I wouldn't do anything <laughs> like that. If it, I mean, I'll never be asked because I'm I don't operate at that kind of level of You'd celebrity. Be good, though. No, I wouldn't be any good at all, and I genuinely, uh, which is not because I like watching. I'm a celebrity yeah. very much, so I'm not condemning the program or the genre at all. But no, uh, I would I would feel a form of madness coming on me if I ever seriously thought about being on something like that. I just wouldn't be able to be scrutinised like yeah, that Yeah, and then the, the, thing, the thing that was um, was a good thing for me, actually, um, was, I mean, I know that, you know, the mo- I always joke with the girls that my most important job is being a mum. And actually, you know, it's such a cliche, isn't it? But I became, I was mum in that camp without going in thinking that I would be, because I think, you know, uh, that is my most important job, but you know, and I just became. I I didn't realize how much I cared about caring. Yeah, well, that's a good thing. Yeah, because it would be terrible if you went in there. <laughs> I, and realized, I, really, I didn't realize how much I, I cared about not giving a shit about, about anybody, else. anybody else or yeah. how they're doing. And we've all seen contestants like that. <laughs> uh, but let me backtrack a bit before anybody calls out the hypocrisy. Both you and I uh, are doing yes, separate let's do days. Yes, do that because I, I was yeah. going to mention that so you the, are going on a sort yeah. of reality show. Aren't so I'm not you? that shy and retiring. So no. we're both doing the weakest link. You with are the weakest link. Rubbish. Goodbye. Ranganathan. Yeah. Uh, but we're not doing it on the same day. Which, which is, is so disappointing, isn't it? Because we could have, you know, just, we could have helped what each other out What would we have done? Well, yeah, we, I yeah. think we would have done that, wouldn't we? Yeah. Oh, no, totally. Well, I mean, I definitely would have backed you up. I, I would have definitely done yeah. the same. But no, we're doing it on different days. Uh, Shame. We, we've got to... We could have fixed it so we won it somehow. We got to, we've got to play kind of dirty, haven't you, yeah. in order to do well. We could have pretending that we were playing dirty but not been. Yeah. Shame. It is a shame. Anyway. Uh, but that will be on uh, your screens And are you looking September. forward to it? Do you love doing quizzes? Well, <laughs> I do I do quite like a quiz. Do you? But we were having this laugh. So my, my big fear about things like that, and um, you do loads and loads and loads of award ceremonies and stuff, and, and uh, I do the occasional few, and I have a... A, a, a terrible problem with the height of the podium because quite often I've walked on and literally, you know, people applaud you on and then they kind of go, where's she gone? Where, where, where's she gone? And I, I, because I am only five foot, I properly am not quite in vision in front of a podium. And on the weakest link, all the, the podiums are the same level, aren't they? And they have got a little thing in front of them. But can't you stand... 
on, a on a invisible box. stool. I could stand on a box, like, couldn't I? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I love that so that's, that's your my biggest fear. fear. That's my biggest, my fear. biggest fear is looking like a complete idiot, which is, of course, not without the realms of possibility. Yeah, but then you let slip when we were talking about this in the office earlier today that you've won the chase twice. <laughs> and, and also at the same time as doing that, in, in one of them, look like a complete idiot. So... So both can be possible. You could win and also look like an idiot. Yeah. Because people assume that because I've read the news for 20 million years that I'm going to be really good at quizzes. And I, I honestly hate them. I did master, I did mastermind once. I mean, it makes me feel genuinely a little bit sick to think that I even did that. And um, when John Humphreys asked me the first question, I mean, if he'd said to me, Louise Minchin, you have two daughters. What are their names? I would have forgotten their names. Okay. In That's the how terrifying. Yeah. It is. How did you do on Mastermind? Uh, uh, badly. Okay. Yeah. What, bottom? No, not bottom. Not no. bottom. No, okay. But not, yeah. Yeah. The first well, question was really easy and I got that wrong. Can you remember what it was? It was about Darcy Bustle, who's my friend. <laughs> and I can't remember. It was like so obvious. <laughs> was it? What, what How did you spell her name or something? What does Darcy Bustle do? <laughs> exactly. It wasn't quite that easy, but nearly. Okay. Well, we're going to have to confer after the week. Oh, week. listen, Fee. It's been, thank you so it's been much. really Thanks, lovely. Thanks, Jane, for lending me this time. It's been an absolute pleasure. Really, really lovely. And, and also because we've just discovered this great chasm of difference yes. between <laughs> us. We're really, really different women. But it's been really lovely to but do that, actually. sometimes that's good because, you know, difference makes friendships, doesn't it? Hugely so. <laughs> and also, I think by this age in life, actually, you do tend to have surrounded yourself by people who... Uh, you settle into, you know, the shared comfort of experience with. So it's actually really lovely, you know, to meet someone who does completely different things. I, I mean, I genuinely mean that. Great. I think you're bonkers yeah, with yeah, all of you right. running and all of that kind of stuff. And, oh, you know, where is Louise today? She's trapped under some ice in Finland. OK, uh, you know, it's just very different. But I salute you, madam. Oh, well, I shall be listening. Thank you for you. Take care. Good luck. And, and a week is slick. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye. We're bringing the shutters down on another episode of the internationally acclaimed podcast Off Air with Jane Garvey and Fee Glover. Our Times Radio producer is Rosie Cutler and the podcast executive producer is Henry Tribe. But don't forget that you can get another two hours of us every Monday to Thursday afternoon here on Times Radio. We start at 3pm and you can listen for free on your smart speaker. Just shout Play Times Radio at it. Uh, you can also get us on DAB Radio in the car or on the Times Radio app whilst you're out and about being extremely busy. And you can follow all our tosh behind the mic and elsewhere on our Instagram account. Just go onto Insta and search for Jane and Fee and give us a follow. So in other words, we're everywhere, aren't we, Jane? Pretty much. Everywhere. Thank you for joining us. And we hope you can join us again on Off Air very soon. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. 
From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com